Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hello, everybody. I hope you're doing well today. I wanted to talk about some of the different things that are happening in the brain besides the ones that I usually talk about, which is Alzheimer's, Lewy body, uh, frontal temporal, and Parkinson's disease. And when there are other mental conditions that are not necessarily a dementia, and why these things are important to us. Because I think sometimes when we're at a doctor's office and we're trying to figure out what's going on, but your person has a lot of other issues that maybe are from their past history that, you know, have caused problems with thinking, um, that have caused problems with their health in different ways. And some of those things happened, especially through COVID. We had more and more problems with things happening in COVID than ever before. And we're seeing some COVID-type issues where people are saying, now I have COVID brain, or my brain was affected in this way, or my, my equilibrium was affected in this way, you know, and, and those types of things. So one of those things that can happen when you get a really high fever, when you've been really sick, sometimes you can get a set of symptoms called delirium. And delirium is confused with dementia all the time, okay? Because like the person with dementia, the person with delirium could be forgetful, disoriented, not able to take care of themselves. But unlike a person with dementia, the delirious person shows a lot of changing levels of consciousness. So the things that they are alert about, are they drowsy? Are they inattentive? Are they easily distracted? And then it comes right back to them. So one of the important things that distinguishes between delirium and dementia is that delirium usually begins really quickly, like it comes on really quickly, like when you've had a terrible fever, a really, really bad fever, and people can become delirious. We've seen this, you know, over time. People know these kinds of things happen, right? But dementia, any type of dementia disease develops gradually over months, years, and you won't see the symptoms sometimes for 10, 15 years. Where delirium, you see the, the symptoms right away. And then they dissipate. Then they're gone. 
So some of the things that we would recognize with delirium would be, of course, false beliefs, right? Um, misinterpretation of reality, what they're seeing, having hallucinations, incoherent speech, not being able to sleep, being awake all night, having less or more physical motor activity, and symptoms of delirium tend to change throughout the day. And so older elderly senior people who don't have dementia might show symptoms that just kind of come and go. They're intermittent, right? And they they will have all those things I was talking about, like impaired alertness, confusion. The memory problems that come with it are what makes people misjudge it. But delirium itself is usually caused by something else, some other illness or some medication that the person is having, some sickness that they're having. And it's more regarded like a symptom. And if you can identify the cause of the symptom, you can treat it. And usually it happens again, like I say, when a person is not well, when they're ill, when they're hospitalized, and they get really confused, and people are starting to wonder, what's going on? Why are they, why are they behaving the way they are? And they confuse it with a diagnosis of some type of dementia. People that have a dementia disease are probably more likely to develop a delirium in some way in addition to the problem they're having with their dementia disease. But that just shows in the worsening of that person and their behavior. And usually it comes with something else like constipation or diarrhea or a urinary tract infection. Even a cold can do that to some people, right? So also if they have any comorbidities at all, like cancer as an example. So when I meet people in their homes and they have some type of prostate cancer, diabetes, heart failure, lung disease, something else, right? Then when they're behaving strangely and they're having more moments of less attention, shorter attention spans, um, delusions, hallucinations, all those kind of things, if we can't figure it out, then that's when I go to, well, maybe it's some type of delirium that is just a temporary problem. And if we can figure out what caused it, we can treat it and make it go away, like a UTI. Urinary tract infections can really make somebody absolutely nuts. And sometimes the medications that you give people can cause delirium. 
because they don't mix well together. Some drugs should not be taken with other drugs, and, and we have to pay attention to that. If you br- bring in another drug, you need to look and see what the effects of that drug are, and are they showing any signs of that drug adversely affecting them? So you need to think about those kinds of things when you bring new medications in to a person with any type of dementia. And I'll tell you what, we're getting into the summer months, and even in this late springtime, all across the country, temperatures going up. And when that happens, people get dehydrated. And believe it or not, Drinking too much water can cause the same problem. We see this a lot in nursing homes and hospitals. People become, you know, overhydrated or or just not getting enough uh, fluid at all. And the next thing you know, they're becoming more irritable. They're confused. They could be drowsy. They could be less alert. They could be incontinent. They could be agitated. They can be fearful of you. So many things can go wrong. On the other side, they could be very apathetic. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want you to talk to me. When you see these kinds of weird things going on and you are noticing uh, a, a really a severely decreased level of alertness or an increase in any way, in the amount of movement that person does or motor activity, are they just sitting on the couch the whole time or are they want walking all over their house, you know, pacing and things like that? Are they having visual hallucinations? These are all common things when somebody's in delirium. And it may or may not have anything to do with a dementia piece. You know, people don't really realize that. And I go to so many homes where they're seeing symptoms like this that I finally decided to look it up and figure out what I was seeing because it's hard to help somebody with the dementia disease themselves. Well, not terribly hard. I mean, it's what I do for a living, right? I can kind of do it with my eyes closed. But when they've got these other things going on, they can become dangerous sometimes. They're very problematic if they're not treated. I mean, just live with somebody with a UTI for a week. You'll, you will agree. I can see y'all nodding your heads right now, right? And if you're seeing that sudden change in behavior, there's something wrong. And those are the times that you're going to have to look and say, well, is my person a little dehydrated? I haven't seen them drink all day long. Um, Are they walking funny? Are they losing their balance when they walk? Is their equilibrium off? If you can't adjust that with nutrition and fluids, then that might be a time to call a doctor. And always, always, always look at those medication interactions because they can... They can build over a week or two period of time and start affecting the person in a really, really strange way. And it's really important that you recognize that and, you know, let your doctor know. 
it's not necessarily just like the first two or three days of the medication. I would I would literally look at it, write notes, make notes about how their personality changed in one way or another. It became less or it became more of whatever the the presentation is. And then let your doctor know. I think two weeks is a really good time to try to figure that out. I just see so much of this that I feel like I needed to talk about it today. And other questions that I get from people on in-home assessments that kind of brought up this delirium thing today, I just kind of made a list of all these things and I want to address them today because I get a lot of questions. And they're good questions. And if, if my clients have questions, probably some of you do too. So we used to call Alzheimer's senility. Somebody asked me the other day, what does that mean? Why did they change from hardening of the arteries and senility to calling the disease Alzheimer's now? Because that confuses people that are very old school. So just to clear that up, the word senile just means you're old. That's all. Senile just means old. It doesn't describe a disease. It doesn't describe a presentation. It doesn't mean that people are out of mind. They're not thinking. It just means you're old. If you look it up in the dictionary, senile means old. Okay? Oh, my God. There's so many things like this, like the word dementia is not a worsening or a lessening of Alzheimer's. I've said this a million times. It's just a definition, meaning um, that your uh, cognitive impairment is being affected every day and its efficacy is, is diminishing. So your thought process isn't working it's progressing, and it's affecting the things that you need to do throughout the day. That's just a simple, maybe not a simple, but that's an explanation for it. A dementia, dementia itself does not mean a disease. Senile doesn't mean crazy. It just means a person's old. So I think these are important things. I want my caregiver nation out there to be educated. When you talk to somebody, I want you to be able to have these conversations and spread the word. Get rid of the ridiculous myths and and things that come with all of this. Something else that came up was somebody asked me about chronic organic brain syndrome. I had never heard of that. And they were saying, well, if you find out, is it reversible? What I found out is that those terms are obsolete. Nobody uses them anymore. They used to use those types of terms to talk about dementia and delirium, which is why I brought this up today. And we don't use these terms any longer because they're not specific. And 
they imply that sometimes conditions can't be treated. And sometimes they imply that conditions can be treated, like Alzheimer's. So as research has advanced over the years, we've gotten rid of these obsolete terms and and things that just don't make sense anymore. And we don't want anybody to say chronic brain syndrome anymore because that's not... It, it just, I don't know, it just has a bad connotation to it. It just doesn't sound good. So I know for those of you listening in the UK, you use some very different terminology. And that is one that you may still be using to describe Alzheimer's, chronic brain syndrome. I had somebody talk to me the other day and mention, um, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was a whole different name for Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And when I looked it up, I saw that's what, that's what it is. It's ALS. It's Lou Gehrig's disease. And I find it staggering and surprising that across the universe, we call things by different names. It actually never occurred to me. So that's why I decided to make a couple notes about talking about some of this stuff and saying, hey, this is why we don't call Alzheimer's chronic brain syndrome anymore. Um, This is why uh, people behave differently when they uh, have mixed medications or they have fevers and all that kind of stuff. We call that delirium. It's not, you know, these things are what they are, but let's get a little bit more educated about them and see what we can treat and what we cannot treat. And really take a good, strong look at these so that we know what we're talking about and we're talking about it from an educated standpoint. So, other things, I made a little list of them, but people ask me all the time, what is a TIA? What is a localized brain injury? What's the difference between a localized brain injury and a head injury. These are all things that I'm willing to uncover. These were things I was willing to look up and say, hey, I can. I think I can tell you what those mean. And we get really confused with some scientific terms. Uh, I was asked about one the other day. I heard that a person's wife had anoxia. And he was trying to remember if the doctor said anoxia or hypoxia. And he couldn't remember what that meant. So I figured it was worth a try to talk to you about it today. And I'm going to take a short break. When I come back, I'm going to explain all of those to you. So we'll take a short break and I'll see you in just a minute. Carillon at Bellevue Station is a residential community enriching the senior living experience. Our community full of grandeur and elegance is located near Cherry Hills, Colorado. We offer independent living and personalized assisted living services and an intimate caring neighborhood for our residents with Alzheimer's and other dementias. A beautifully appointed spacious apartment, chef prepared meals, transportation services and a team devoted to your safety and wellness are what awaits you when you reside at Carillon at Bellevue Station. 
Call 720-440-8200 or visit carillon at bellevuestation.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. All right, so I was trying to clarify a few things that have come up in the in-home assessments that I have. And sometimes these come up because the neurologist working with the person can't seem to narrow down a diagnosis. That is only a big deal to the degree that it upsets families. Doctors are just trying to get to the bottom of what is happening. And sometimes the things that I was talking about uh, come up. So with that, then I wanted to go in and talk about some of the other things that I made lists of that people asked me about. Like, what? why do people get Alzheimer's if they've had a head injury or if they've had back surgery? Or what does this word mean versus this word? Or what exactly is a TIA? I've heard this over and over again, and I don't understand what it is. So I'm going to jump in there and explain this to you. So TIA stands for transient ischemic attack. I-S-C-H-E-N-I-C, ischemic. That's a, that's a strange word, isn't it? <laughs> but what it means, essentially, is it's a temporary impairment, something quick that happens in the brain, and the brain function. And it's due to not having sufficient supply of blood to part of the brain. It has to do a lot with vascular dementia. I've talked about this on many, many shows. And why your lungs, your air capacity, your heart, and the way your heart functions work together to create movement of oxygen and blood. And if one is working harder than the other, you could have low blood pressure or high blood pressure, and that means the amount of that oxygen and blood getting to the brain in sufficient time. I mean, it's pretty as simple as that. And if it comes too quick, it can cause that problem, the TIA. I, I have always termed it as like a little earthquake in the brain. I think that's easier for you guys to picture. Um, and it really only happens where where it strikes in the brain, as opposed to a progression of some type of protein, like beta amyloid or like tau or like alpha-synuclein protein. Um, So when that happens, when you have that insufficient supply of blood to part of the brain, it can affect somebody's speech. 
They could have slurred speech. They could talk too fast. Uh, we've seen TIAs cause problems where people spoke in a different language. Weird stuff can happen at times. Other things you'll see is that person getting um, weak. Sometimes we can see a little minor paralysis of a hand or an arm or something like that. Uh, when they stand up, they get dizzy or they get nauseated. Usually it only lasts a few minutes. Sometimes it can last an hour or more. And then the person gets better. It's, it's less than a stroke. A stroke is that powerful earthquake in the brain. A TIA is more of a little, I don't want to say a little blip on the radar screen, but it kind of is. It's not, it's not a full-blown stroke. There's a difference between the TIA and a stroke. I'll see if I can kind of explain that to you here. The problem with a stroke is that when somebody has a stroke and they have that big earthquake in the, in the brain, some of the repercussions, some of the deficit that happens in the brain will remain. Those problems don't go away. If we can't get a person to a doctor quickly, that person may have long um, possible repercussions in the brain. They may not recover from it. So a TIA has very small deficits that might not be noticed. Strokes have big deficits that could possibly remain. I hope that makes sense to you. So somebody asked me the difference. I'm trying to explain it to you. But here's the bad thing, okay? So TIAs are kind of a warning sign that a stroke is imminent. It is not a good thing to have these little blips on the radar screen, the little, the little TIAs that cause a little bit of problem, but you recover from them. If they are happening a lot, you need to report this immediately to your doctor because they might be able to use some kind of a drug that could help with blood clots and other things that are happening. Sometimes our blood is clotting. Uh, that is bad because if that goes from your brain to your lungs, game over, right? So... Let your doctor know if you're having little TIAs, but they seem to resolve themselves because it could mean you have an impending stroke on the horizon and you don't want that to happen. That's terrible. And if you're not in a place where you can be helped or have the problem addressed quickly, strokes can be devastating. Your face could slump. You could lose part of your brain capacity. 
you could lose um, your ability to use arms, legs, things like that. So pay attention to those things. I hope that helps. I thought that was an excellent question that I got from somebody recently who had said, my mom hasn't had a stroke, but she's had a TIA, and I thought TIAs were strokes. So I really, really wanted to explain that. So then I got asked recently when I met somebody who was a veteran of the military, and they had some really serious questions about what's the difference between localized brain injuries and head injuries. What's the difference? Again, uh, if they have that question, some of you may have that question. So I'm trying to make this as simple as I can. Damage can happen to the brain or just your head and it can both temporarily or permanently affect either a big or a small part of your brain. And it can be caused by something like tumors, TIAs, strokes. Okay? And unlike a dementia disease... The damage is going to be in a specific spot. It's going to be generalized in probably one place. And it could affect more than one of your mental functions, one of, your, one of the things that you really need. Uh, for cognition, it could affect reading and writing. It could affect sequencing. It could affect how you view things and, and perceive things. It could affect your speech. And where, where you have symptoms can tell your neurologist where the damage is. So I do that with my in-home assessments. When I'm talking to somebody, if they are having trouble completing a task from A to Z, I know that's the frontal lobe of the brain. If they have trouble uh, recognizing an object... That's a temporal lobe. If they have trouble understanding what the date is, what the time is, what a rhetorical time frame is, how much space there is between each step going down your stairwell, then that tells me it's the parietal lobe, right? So when you have symptoms of localized brain injuries, the doctor or neurologist can say, all right, um, we're going to localize where this brain lesion is, where this injury is, and and we're going to narrow it down to this. If there's damage all over the brain, then we're going to narrow it down to a type of dementia. And going back to strokes, they can cause problems like paralysis, Um, again, drooping of the face, speech. And we know that that's a specific 
problem, a localized brain injury in a certain part of the brain. I hope that makes sense to you. And strokes, as I was just explaining to you about the lungs and the heart moving, working together, uh, one more time, I just want to say this. Blood clots can cause big localized brain injuries. Um, they, it can be a blood vessel breaking in the brain. Uh, it could cause bleeding in the brain. And you need treatment for that right away. You need to, and strokes will do that. That's why you need to go to the hospital right away. Go to the fastest place you can go for help uh, if somebody has a stroke because that will that will localize in one place. That's why we call them localized brain injuries. They usually don't occur in multiple parts of the brain, and it doesn't lead to more damage in other parts of the brain. And if you can get to it quickly, sometimes people that have a stroke can get better. So that's just so important to tell you, okay? And that's where we might have to have rehabilitation or something like that 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 helps that person regain their strength and their mobility and all that kind of stuff. And, And the bottom line is that rehabilitation can help because it will increase the likelihood that you're going to recover and hopefully lessen the severity of whatever impairment you're going to have in your body, okay? And you can manage, if you're going to have a stroke or not, to some degree, you can reduce it if you can get good medical care. And they can guide you to good healthy practices to keep you healthy, okay? Now, The difference between a localized brain injury and a head injury is that a head injury can happen as a result of a blow to a head. Um, It can destroy brain tissue or have bleeding within the brain. That could cause permanent brain damage and permanent changes in your behavior. And sometimes we have blood that collects in the brain, especially if somebody has been in an accident of some type or hit their head pretty severely. Um, there's all kinds of things that can can cause those kinds of things. A blow to the head is is really difficult because... When that happens, usually that blood will swell up and collect between the lining of the brain that is attached to the skull. And you get a pool of blood there, and that's not good. And it puts pressure on the brain and the brain cells, and it damages everything. And we have a name for that. It's called a subdural hematoma. That's a collection of blood that pools in one area. We see this a lot in dogs. Okay, when dogs shake their head too hard and their ear will balloon up. And if you were to prick it, blood goes all over everything. It looks like they just have bled out or something. But it's just a pool of blood that happens in their 
their ear. It's the same kind of thing if a person hits their head really hard, um, has some type of blow to the head, and ends up with this issue. It can happen when people fall. Even mild falls can make people who are older have this problem. And to make it worse, let's just exasperate the problem here. Uh, People with dementia fall all the time. I was just on an in-home assessment where the person told me that his wife fell, and they have an old-time radiator, a stand-up radiator. You know, those are about four four feet tall or something like that, three and a half, four feet tall. And it was a couple of inches away from the wall. And his wife is very thin, and she lost her balance, and she fell between the radiator and the wall and hit her head. So if your person falls and they hit their head, these kinds of things can happen. And they may not be able to tell you anything about their head feeling funny or feeling like they've got a little lump or something like that. Sometimes they can't even talk to you. They can't tell you about it. But you need to have them seen by a doctor because that's going to cause more problems if you don't deal with it and you're going to have permanent damage in that area. And bleeding underneath the skull might not even happen in the same place that person was hit. It could be slow and it could pool like in the back of the head if they hit the front of their head, if they lay on their back. And you might not even see those symptoms until hours and hours or even days after the person falls. And I've actually seen it where the bleeding in the head pooled on the opposite side of where the injury took place. So that's pretty wild. So that's the difference between head injuries and localized brain injuries. I hope that helps. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay. So as I was talking about questions that I get 
with in-home assessments. Um, there are a lot of other medical problems that can make that person worse. Some of them are bad. Some of them are relatively minor. You know, like the flu or COVID. Um, they have trouble sometimes telling you when they're having those problems. So, on the opposite side of the delirium I was talking about earlier, what if they are feeling like a mental dullness? I think that phenomenon can be worse in people with dementia, especially if they are vulnerable to other comorbidities and other troubles, other illnesses, other problems. You will often see the confusion and the behavioral symptoms worsening. And all that can be brought on by the flu, a minor cold, pneumonia, heart trouble. I talked about reactions to medications a minute ago. So, And it just looks like the person has gotten exponentially worse. So what's going on and is it is it going to be permanent and how are we going to treat it? Should we treat it? Um, what do we need to do? And the first thing you need to do is call your doctor, explain what's happening, and see if that's something you should treat or not treat. Okay? Because the people who can't express themselves aren't going to be able to tell the doctor how they're feeling or answer specific questions. Like, does your head hurt? And even people who can express themselves might not recognize or not be able to report feeling bad or being in pain or where the pain is or where the illness is or where they feel sick. And they don't know the difference between what's serious and what's minor. They have no idea. So you have to look based on what they've been doing the last few months, the last few weeks, the last few days. And I'm telling you, people, you have got to take pain or illness seriously and report it to your doctor. And if your doctor isn't gentle with your person, if they are not calm and understanding, you're going to have even more problems because they will dismiss whatever that person is talking about. They'll just dismiss it. They'll just think they're senile, right? And we now know that senile means old. And you have to advocate for them. You have to insist that whatever infection they have, whatever illness they have, be treated and make sure that they figure out where that pain is coming from and relieve it because you don't want to get back to that case of delirium I was talking about, right? Even a common cold can make somebody act out. 
And a lot of times, especially in memory cares or assisted livings, I think illnesses and pain are overlooked. I really do. Not on purpose. But somebody needs to advocate for that person. And I mean, you need to be aggressive about it. See, here's kind of the problem. I realize this in myself. I broke my shoulder years ago in a car accident and had a lot of other injuries. But my shoulder speaks to me like a barometric measurement and pressure, pressurized thing. And when we have an 80-degree day and then the next day it's 40 and raining, my shoulder hurts so bad. I mean, terribly bad. And if I ever end up in a memory care, when the weather changed drastically, somebody better be giving me some Aleve or four Advil, put a heating pad on my shoulder, or guess what? I'm going to be a cranky bitch hitting everybody, <laughs> cussing at them. Um, I'm going to be jumping up and down. I'm going to be getting up out of my chair. I'm going to be walking around. I'm going to be incredibly irritable. I can't sleep at night if my shoulder gets cold. These are some of the things that I'm talking about. And if we don't, if we don't write them down, if we don't tell them, I'm going to ask the executive directors that I work with from these different communities. I think I'll ask Stacy Naslin. I'm going to ask her if she knows if any of her people that are in her community have any arthritis or anything. Now, here's another thing to add to it. So yesterday, I was getting a massage. And I have, and you all know this because I brought it up a zillion times, I have family members that have restless leg syndrome. And if I sit too long at a desk, computer, or watching TV or something like that, my left leg gets jumpy. And part of that is because I stepped in a hole at City Park during the walked in Alzheimer's in 2012, and I broke my foot, and I walked around without an even up, and I had a boot, and my uh, I did not have an even up right away, and I messed up my lower lumbar four and five. And it can cause me problems with my sciatica and with um, just the nerves in my leg, right? And yesterday, while I was getting a massage in the morning, uh, my person, uh, Mariella, who, by the way, puts Humpty Dumpty back together again all the time. I love her. Could not live without my massage therapist. She mentioned, I told her that I was having pretty severe discomfort in my knee. 
And then I was very worried that I might have to have my knee replaced, my left knee replaced. And as she was, you know, I always stretch my hands, hamstring. I always stretch my sciatica. I stretch out my back and stuff like that. But I was neglecting something she called the eye band on the top of my leg that connects to my kneecap, right? And as soon as she started pushing on that on that muscle and that eye band, I thought I was going to go through the freaking roof. I literally, literally thought I was going to kick her or something. And she showed me how with cupping, uh, using those cup things, which, by the way, I'm going to order on Amazon today, uh, you can move that eye band back into the place that it's supposed to be. And it's just on the front of your leg from your hip all the way down to your knee. It's kind of that little ridge you have um, that's just to the right of the top of your leg. And uh, just her massaging that and working it back into the right position on my leg and all that, after I got over the feeling of wanting to kick her, um, I got up and I had no pain in my knee. For the first time in 20 years, I had no pain in my knee. From now on, I'm going to have to mess with that eye band and push it over and push it over and push it over and get it back into space. If My point is, if I get Alzheimer's and I'm in a memory care, will somebody know that? Or will they just think I'm losing my mobility? Or will they think I'm just being a crab? Um... If I am angry all of a sudden or I'm limping because the weather changed and it's causing me pain in various parts of my body. And those are two different sides, my left leg and my right shoulder. I think these things are important because if we don't recognize these, they may not cause delirium, but they can get somebody mad as hell. They can get you sore and feeling horrible. Horrible. And there's the other things that can that can do those kinds of things. They can they can drop your energy level. I was talking to Brian today when I came in and I said uh yesterday I afternoon on my way home from that fabulous massage with Mariella um, I witnessed a car accident, and I've been trying to stay in the house because we have had incredible smoke in Colorado. I live in a suburb called Roxboro Park in in uh, the Denver area, and uh, Canadian wildfires have pushed an incredible amount of smoke down into our state. And it has hung here because we've had rainy days and things like that for about four days now. And yesterday I had to stop at this accident because I was the first person to see it. And I pulled over and got out and it was a three-car accident. I wanted to make sure everybody was okay. But the bottom line is I stood outside for two hours. And I started feeling so poorly my oxygen level went down. I I felt dizzy. Um, I was sick to my stomach. I felt nausea. 
um, I my my uh, asthma was kicking in. I started my voice sounded lower. Um, I went home. I had zero energy. I had to call Brian and say, I cannot come. I can't come. I was afraid to drive because uh, the smoke and everything just really got to me. So the point I'm trying to make, and even his sweet daughter said, you know, Dad, why am I coughing so much? And, um, you know, he was telling her it was because of the smoke and all that. All these kinds of things still happen after you have a diagnosis. But are they addressed by family members and memory care workers when you get into a community? Does anybody give a damn that your eye band is out of whack and is painful and and needs to be massaged and stretched out? Or you're going to have knee pain. Or does anybody realize that I need a heating pad on my right shoulder? All of these things can make people incredibly irritable and not easy to deal with. And if they can't tell you, you've got a problem, right? And I think you can even hear it in my voice today that uh, the smoke in Denver is really getting to me. And um, it just depletes my energy. It depletes my oxygen level. It depletes the air in my lungs. It, it complicates things for me terribly bad. So it is incredibly important as you're looking for clues to the delirium, to the anger, to the limping, to the grouchiness, to the cursing, hitting people, um, yelling at people and being mean and all that kind of stuff. All these things could be something as simple as just realizing the things I just pointed out to you about me and my own body. I can't stress enough how important that information is to the place that your person goes to live or that you can recognize it and give a little treatment to it and maybe that person can have an easier or better day and you can alleviate the terrible symptoms and and things that you are seeing in the in their presentation i hope this has helped you today a little bit i i really like sometimes the best the shows where people give me feedback or they um ask questions because it's kind of fun to sit and try and answer those for you. Anyway, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day, your week, and I will see you next time on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. 
please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.